kick off this, this incredible series about prophecy, and uh, I just want to thank you for being here. This topic is hot. It is hot culturally. It is hot, I mean, on TV, History Channel, Discovery Channel, go to any bookstore. The Mayan calendar stuff is going crazy right now. Everything is just it's selling about like hotcakes that, that has to do with prophecy. There's new books almost weekly coming out on the subject. And, and I wanted us to look at this from a biblical perspective because we're coming up on 2012. You look around you to see the economy falling, the, the worldwide, the global degradation of... Uh, all right, someone wants shirt. Nice. The, uh, the global degradation. Okay, everybody stare at this for the next 20 minutes. Okay, cool. Um, global degradation, the fear, the I mean, just the unrest. And, and those of us that have a little bit of time under our belts, we see the unrest, we see what's taking place, and, and we just want to go over what the Bible says with big picture insight. Now, not necessarily with all the charts and all that kind of stuff. I just really want to see what the Bible says, a biblical lens. Here's what drives it for me. When I became a Christ follower, the church was on a mission to use prophecy to scare hell out of you, the hell out of you, and to force heaven into you. And I think that they meant well. I mean, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of B and C movies that were, you know, it was all about, you know, if you don't accept Christ, you get your head chopped off. That's a big thing. If you don't accept Christ, you're alone and you get your head chopped off. If you do accept Christ, you get your head chopped off. And if you don't get the mark on your head, you get your head chopped off. Everybody's chopping off heads, and it was just weird, and it, you know, it was frightening. And, and I think that there was just a, a distortion. I, I know that they meant well of Jude 22 and 23. There's some people that just absolutely respond to the love of God. And that was my daughter, just responded to Christ's love and got saved. My son was more like me and responded to Jude 23. He took the love, and, and you tack on the fear of God. And the Bible says that that, you know, the godly fear leads people to repentance, not not shame and manipulation. And some of what we call godly conviction is actually just guilt manipulation. When God brings conviction, it always, 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 always is life-giving. It always brings a positive change. Even if you're in this negative situation and you're convicted, when you respond to God, there's not a bunch of shame after that after that response. That, could, that will tell you whether it's godly response or a guilt manipulation or whether it's, it's godly conviction. So I want to start today, not at the end necessarily, but at the open end. Because this is the lens you have to realize the Bible was written in. And so if you, how many people have ever seen Saving Private Ryan? A great example of Saving Private Ryan, right? The beginning of the movie, you've got this old guy. It's actually James Ryan. You don't know that then. And he comes up to this grave, Captain John Miller. He begins to just break down. And then his eyes that were in their late 70s, early 80s become young. And it opens up the movie to, to tell the story. And this theme that God has is the open-ended filter lens that prophecy was written in. We always treat prophecy like something that it's not but it's still part of God's story. God's big picture is, is that you get that. And what I, want you to, what I want you to get is rather than worry about what you don't know, what I hope that this series does is, put, is bolster your faith, make you ask another question about Jesus Christ, 
go to the next level, one step closer to believing on him. If you're right at that cusp, to go ahead and trust him as your Savior, man. See what he's all about. And here's the reality with this open-ended view. God is all about redemption and restoration. Those are big words, right? Especially that redemption. What does that mean? That means God is all about setting people free, setting free, and setting things right. God is all about buying back what was lost and setting things right. And prophecy is part of this continuum. Prophecy is part of God's plan of redemption and restoration. We treat prophecy this way. Was I grew up? We treat prophecy like God's scary movie character. Like here comes prophecy. I'm going to get you. How much I forgot off my deal. It's all about chopping yeah, you. Scary, frightening. We're going to get you. And there are some frightening parts to prophecy. That's not what God wants you to fixate on. There's some awesome parts to prophecy. Revelation, the first time that I studied it personally, after I had grown in my faith for quite some years, I realized it was one of the greatest church planning books that God ever wrote. It was amazing what is in that book. But it's filled with so much imagery that we don't understand and the mysterious, and that's kind of what we fixate on. And that's, that's, that's kind of what the I mean, it's what sells, man. But the big picture is this. God is all about redemption. God is all about setting people free. God is all about buying back what was lost. I want you to look at the first prophecy ever given in Scripture. First prophecy ever given in Scripture. I want you to see the subject material. I want you to check this out. This is right after man messed it up, blew up the sea. Right after man, God said, listen, I want you to do this. He said, no, I'm going to do this because I think you're holding out on me. That's God's big our big accusation against God. You're holding out on me, so i got to do something you don't want me to do because you're not telling me the whole story. And then look where that got us today. It got the big mess up. I want you to look at this with me. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed. God's talking to the enemy. And between your seed and her seed, capitalized, check it out. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise the seed. How many people saw the opening scene of the Passion of Christ with the snake and Christ walking in the garden? You saw that depicted. That verse was depicted. This is the first prophecy given in the Bible. It's all about redemption. God says, listen, you have messed this thing up, and I'm going to make it right. Fast forward from that verse to the birth and life of Jesus Christ. For 33 years, he showed what God looked like when God becomes man. What if God were one of us, Joan? Here's the reality. It's Jesus. This is what he would do. These are the things he would say. These were were the things that he would accomplish. These were the things that he believed. And his mission was redemption. He had all these claims about being God himself. There were hundreds of guys that had claimed the same thing. The deal was, the difference was, his life backed it. So, okay, this guy's got everybody's attention. His life is really backing what the Bible says about, about the Messiah. There were already with this birth dozens of prophecies fulfilled. And then Jesus lives this life. That's what ultimately got him crucified. Crucified was claiming to be God. They put him in the ground. They thought it was over. Done deal. Three days later, after the death warrant had been written, Jesus rises again. And so not only does his birth and life fulfill all these prophecies, but his death and resurrection fulfills a ton of prophecies, hundreds of prophecies. So God is all about prophecy, 
But it's all within the context of redemption and restoration. And so the end result was buyback. People like you, people like me, people not like us can, can experience Jesus Christ. We can call out from the heart and say, God, save me. Remove this cloud, remove this clutter, remove this junk from my life, and God can make a difference. Some of you have seen this. If you've been to LifePoint, you've seen me do this quite a bit because it's just a beautiful picture. But here you have a beautiful picture of redemption. You have you and I. Oh, man, i got to write this time. So we have a lot of teachers in the service. You and I. Me and you is what I put in the first one because they didn't really care and they're still asleep. But you and I. We've got this clutter. We've got some of us got this white noise. And, and it's, it's like there's this, if it wasn't bad enough that we have the mess up, that we have this, this jump that not even evil can evil could make. We've got this mess up. We've got this wall here that stops us from even trying to jump. And for some of us, it is fear. For some of us, it is uh, bitterness. For some of us, it's jealousy. For some of us, it's self-absorption. For some of us, it's abuse or being a predator. I mean, there is a lot of walls. For some of us, man, in the South and Midwest, it's just the white, beautiful noise of religion. <laughs> Steeple on every corner, man. And Jesus did this. He lived the life, and when he died, amazing peace, he destroyed this wall. And now any self-perceived, any self-conceived idea that there's anything between you and God is a lie because when Jesus died on the cross, he completely bridged the gap. Now, the enemy makes you think that there's something here. It's like a dog in our neighborhood where they put up the invisible fence and they don't turn it on and he chases my kids. One day that dog is going to meet Jesus if he snaps at one of them, okay? He's going to meet his creator. And then I'll probably go to jail and Andy will have to preach for like until my dad bells me out, right? That's just the way it's going to work. We have these self-perceived walls that there's something between us and God. And God said, listen, when Jesus died, he tore down that wall. He tore down that petition. And there's nothing keeping you from being redeemed. And the moment that you take a step of faith towards God and accept Jesus Christ, you begin a lifelong journey that culminates in a face-to-face meeting with a relationship that you've been, begun back here. I'm talking about Skype meetings and all that, you know, conference calls, prayer, all the stuff we do. And then one day it's face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And that is what God wanted with redemption. But on that journey, God redeems you. He bought back things. He removed all the walls that keep you from knowing God, from knowing purpose, from serving God, from, from loving one another effectively. Everything was, was removed. And I wish that was what was presented when I first became a Christ follower. Not that people just lose their heads, but that God can take your head and set it on straight. God can bring not only an everlasting life, but he can bring a healthy life. He can bring a whole life. He can bring the fractured parts together. One of the things that I saw about myself after I accepted Jesus Christ is from the way that I grew up and the decisions I, I had made, there was all these fractured, scattered pieces of me all over the place. And nothing triggers that like marriage and children. And so for me to have a healthy life, I begin to say, God, redeem these pieces. Redeem that bad memory. Redeem that broken moment. And we're going to see the next half of that. And and bring those pieces back together. God, you died to do that. And he died to do that for you too. He died to buy back. He died to set you free. 
Man, I wish somebody would have told me that. Because all I got was the scary stuff. Then they didn't even do this piece. You know, it was kind of just skipped over. Like, okay, is everybody afraid because everybody got their head chopped off? Okay, no. You know, never got to this piece. God is about restoration. Check this out with me. Revelation. Check it out. Revelation. The book we're all afraid of. It's a great book. We'll look at some of it. Then he who sat on the throne, this is Jesus Christ, because we're kind of dropping in. We're, we're doing this LZ, like right into verse 5. We have no, any background. Then he, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, this is Jesus talking. This is a quote. I make all things new. And, he, and, and I make all things new. I make all things new. I am restoring God. I'm about restoration. I'm, make, I'm about making things better than they were before, different than they were before. Fulfillment. God said, I'm about that. And John's like, okay, that's cool. And then he said to me, John, Jesus said to John, write, for these words are true and faithful. Yeah, I, I got it, Jesus. I, I got it. Behold, I make all things. No, 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 no. I want you to know, John, that you need to write this too. That these words are true and faithful. Just like my life was authentic, just like my death was authentic, my resurrection was authentic, the life change I bring, John, is authentic. There's going to be a lot of stuff between the time you write this and the, and the final people that believe on Jesus Christ. And they need to know that no matter what it looks like, smells like, feels like, what's thrown on the screens, what's broadcasted, what they pick up in their lives, what they've translated, that no one else is untranslated, that, that I'm going to restore things. That these words are faithful, John, and they are true. God wants to make things right. Look at this with me in Proverbs. I, this just hit me, and you know, I'm so nonlinear if you're a visitor. I mean, I, you know, this whole message started, really this whole series started with this part of the message of restoration. Because I thought, there is so much to draw from with prophecy. There are so many videos and books. There are so many charts. But I'm a simple guy. I like things not simplistic, but simple. I like to know the big picture. I want to look through the right lens because that will help me to discern what's preference and what God really wants me to know. And I want you to see this, there, that God knows there's a mess going on here. This is where this whole series was birthed for me. Look at Proverbs 6 with me. These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Like it just It's disgusting to him. Now, whenever I've heard this speak, I've always heard it basically people preached against Missing the big picture of what God's trying to accomplish. A proud look. I'm talking about arrogant self-reliance. People that, that are around people that are arrogant always feel used. They always feel like they owe them. They always feel like, you know, how many people love to just be with and fill, you know, just fill their cups, self-centered people. I mean, like, listen, you're self-centered. I just want to feed that in you because I think this is awesome. Now, we hate that too. And God does too. And if you look at some of the things that take place globally from a, from arrogance sake, from that I don't have to answer to anyone's sake, or what takes place in some families and lives and just the, just the stuff, like with Penn State, that cat there. I can't, I can't even read the script. I just want to put a bullet in that guy. You forgive me. I'm still, I haven't, you know, I haven't reached the, the final thing where Jesus and I, and he's like, I take all this stuff from you. Because I have a daughter the age of those kids that were abused. I can't imagine something 
like that happening. I can't imagine having to leave this for the prison ministry if, if something did happen. Man, that would be terrible. Arrogance. I don't have any law. I don't have any boundaries. I could do what I want. I mean, it just, God hates that. A lying tongue. Deceitful. The end always justifies the means distortion. How many people hate phoniness? Well, I said I hate hypocrisy. I hate hypocrisy. God said it's God. He hates phoniness. A proud look, a lying tongue, it's all about deceit. Proud look is all about control. Arrogance is all about control. Hands that shed innocent blood. We're talking about people that destroy life or any part of it. Or acts that destroy life. Predators. Predatory acts. Murder. Abuse. Sexual abuse. Someone that takes a life or takes innocent. God hates that. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates these acts. He hates it. He hates when a baby's robbed of innocence. He hates when your marriage is shipwrecked because of pride. He hates it. He hates it. We do too. A heart that devises wicked imagination. Anything that robs worship from God. No no discernment, no boundaries other than personal gain. No surrender. You justify the end with the means. You know, know, you, you think, well, the Christians are the worst about this. We're so worried about... You know, we can't judge people. We don't even understand what Jesus is talking about there. Do we bury our heads in the sand? Let all these things go on around us in degradation, and we feel sorry for ourselves. And many people use prophecy as an excuse to justify their inactivity or lack of faith. Well, I'm just waiting on Jesus. Well, that's not what Jesus wants you to do. We should be about your Father's business. But God hates this thing that it's only about itself. How about the feet and being swift and running to evil? Government systems, people, whatever, that, that, that be swift, that whole thought, that whole process that put people in bondage. I'm talking about like what I began to watch and it still goes on. It was going on in Afghanistan. We were some of the nations sending relief to Afghanistan to dig water wells for these beautiful people. So that they could, so they could have plant crops, and they could feed their kids, and they could, they could have, you know, H two O. Their government came in after we dug the wells and blew them up, so they could control their people. So they could watch babies die. If they, so then they could raise taxes, or they could raise tariff, or they could control the people die because of this principle. God hates that. God says, I want you to know this. Part of prophecy, part of my coming back, is restorative. He that sows discord among brethren is the the next verse. In verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies, and and he who sows discord among brethren, the lying piece is kind of, uh, you know, give me. But how about those destructive people that always bring chaos? I asked this in the first service. How many people have ever worked in a place where there was like, other than one or two people, it's probably a cool place. Anybody? They just bring chaos over there. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If, you're, if they're in their cubicle pool, it's going to be misery. If they're on your team, they just, they control with passive aggression. They can, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a mess. And they, they, they draw alliances. Yeah, God hates that. 
We see it all the time in church. This is one we see in the church all the time. The other stuff kind of gets hidden in churches. This one you see all the time. And you go into an area. I was talking to a guy that's planning a church. I'm trying to think of where it was at. I'm trying to think. It's somewhere in the south. There were like there was like 10,000 people in the county, 57 Baptist churches. He's like, I, I, why are there so many churches? I tell you, I was like, tell you why. This verse right here. They get mad at each other. They forget the mission. They go do their own thing, and they splinter, and they splinter, and they splinter. God hates that stuff. He cannot stand it. God said, listen, I'm going to restore that. I'm going to come back and restore that. 2 Timothy and 2 Thessalonians reveal that legislation, negotiation, and accumulation, and civilization, if we can just make people civil, if we can just give them enough, if we can just pass the right laws, that we can make things better. And globally, at an astronomical rate, including our own country, we are watching that not be true. Because the problem is this. The problem goes back to nature. The problem goes back to the inherent sin that we're born with, that Jesus Christ died for, that he erases once we get saved and gives us the Holy Spirit so we can be difference makers, deal breakers, purpose fulfillment people. It's the nature. And God said, listen, you can come up with the greatest declaration of independence. You can come up with the United Nations. And it seems like the more that we do as you study history, you study history, you know, you don't have to read the Bible, you study our history. The degradation continues. It continues to be destructive. Beyond hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and all this stuff. It's it's getting worse. And God says, listen, I want to restore that. Jesus died so we could be restored. He rose again so that we could be restored. And broken people create broken systems that cycle degradation. That's just the nature of the beast. And God says, listen, I am going to have to step into this. And when I do, child trafficking will be done. Famine will be done. Babies without parents will be finished. Governments raping and abusing their people will be finished. Crimes of of passion or otherwise that, that go overlooked, that everybody kind of blows off and passes by. Abuse and neglect. Severe things done to kids that you get more punishment for by shooting a dog in public than you do hurting a child. God said, listen, I'm going to set the scales balanced because the Bible says God hates an unbalanced scale. And Jesus said, I've got to return to set things in order. I've got to do it. God says, I am all about redemption. I'm not about scaring you, God says. I'm about redeeming you. I'm not about about frightening you with facts and scary images. I'm about restoration. And the only reason, the only reason that he does not return right this minute is because there's somebody else that needs Jesus Christ in their lives. There's some other person that has the white noise of religion or the wall of fear or whatever self-perceived closure and prison that keeps them from Jesus Christ. That is the thing that keeps him from returning right now. The first time he came as a lamb. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the lamb. He came as the lamb. Here's the amazing thing. When he came as the lamb over 2,000 years ago, they wanted him to come as the king. 
They didn't understand the land peace. And so many of them rejected him. They were looking for God. They were looking for a connection. They were looking for the Messiah. But they rejected the lamb. And Jesus went ahead and he died and he was buried and he rose again anyways. But as a second coming, he came to redeem as a lamb. At the second coming, know this about the lens. All the stuff you're going to see on TV, all the stuff you're going to read in magazines and books, whether it's secular or sacred, know this, that when he comes back the second time, it will be as the king to restore, to restore order, to restore peace, to personify hope. So that everything that you learned by faith, everybody lives by faith. Everybody, you're like, oh, it's weak to be a Christian. And you're like, no, it's not. Everybody lives by faith. It's just whom you put your faith in. If you're self-imposed and, you're, and it's about you, the religion of self or uh, the religion of materialism or some other religion or whatever, you know, mysticism, everybody has faith. God knew that. He made us faith beings that cry out for meaning and purpose and a higher power, however you want to look at it. God's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. The second coming will be about restoration. But in all of this thing, man, God says, I I want people to be redeemed. I want people to be restored. So what do we do with this? Until the moment that he comes again, what do we do with this? And God says, listen, I can help you with that. Look at these verses with me in Matthew 22. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. All they had up until that point, they had the book of Matthew backwards in the Bible. This is all they had, this part. So like Matthew started here in the life of Jesus. Up until when Jesus said that, this is what they had, this part of the Bible. So the assumption is the whole Bible, because God wrote the whole Bible, we learn it in 1 Timothy. The whole Bible hinges on these two things. What do you want us to do? Do you want us to sit and take prophecy and, and sit and, and, and be superior and say, well, I can't wait till God gets you? God says, no, I want you to discover Jesus. I want you to discover God, because to love God, you've got to know God. And to know God, you've got to accept Christ. I want you to know me, and I want you to love me. I want you to let me begin to restore your life. And then I want you to, it's amazing, God wants us to partner with him to see other lives. It's amazing. He desires to partner with us, you and me personally, to help other people discover this amazing message of love and hope. God says, I want you to do that. Here's Here's what we've coined at LifePoint. We say when it comes to redemption and restoration, God wants you to discover Jesus And he wants you to go be Jesus. He wants you to discover him. He wants you to come to this moment of faith where you're like, yes, I need you as my Savior. And then continue on this journey of a lifetime of following Christ and messing up and confessing sin and reading the Bible and talking to God and connecting with other people and learning stuff in church and being the church and being on missions and feeding people and loving people and reaching people and gathering and all of that discover Jesus. Most people that love prophecy usually stop there. I've known quite a few guys that love prophecy. It's their thing. 
And they sit and click and wait for the next sign. And, oh, oh, my God, there's the next peace talks, and that fits into this chart. And just can't wait for Jesus to come back. And Jesus is like, I know that. I'm glad of that. But I'd like for you to help be me. I want you to go to that workplace, and I want you to help people understand that I love them. I want you to bake cookies. I want you to have a listening ear. I want you to show respect. I want you to show honor. I want you to partner with other believers. I want you to go be me. I want you to discover your gifts, and I want you to use them inside and outside the walls. It's in the New Testament. I want you to go be me. When you walk into your workplace, when you walk into your family, I want you to literally ask the question, if Jesus were here, what would he really do? Oh, I bet he would make everybody feel bad because they don't read a certain version of the Bible. I bet he would want me to tell everybody they're rejected because they're not a certain faith affiliation. Or they have a certain kind of clothes on or they don't have a certain kind of clothes on. I know what he would want me to do. He would want me to let everybody know what they're doing wrong. That's what Jesus would do. He would show unconditional love. He would see a person that was thirsty and give them a drink. He would see a person that was overlooked or a person that was driven can't seem to fight, you know, life, but they're, they're fighting so hard because they're type A, and he would want them to step around that fear and say there's something more. He would want, and he does want, each one of us to discover Jesus and go be Jesus. Here's the way he said it in the New Testament, occupy till I come. He didn't say watch prophecy movies till I come. He didn't say sit on your hands until I come. He didn't say blame everybody else and excuse yourself along with everybody else. It's someone should occupy. Discover Jesus. Go be Jesus. God is all about redemption. God is all about restoration. God is all about freeing. And God is all about setting things right. That's why prophecy that are unfulfilled, that are fulfilled, some of them are being fulfilled even as we gather take place, not to scare you, not to hurt you, not to vindicate you with the people that don't agree with you, but it's just one more banner that says God is about setting people free and setting things right, and that he will do just that. I want to close with the greatest prophecy verse. Is the most familiar verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know how many hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled before that comma? The moment he died and rose again, do you know how many hundreds of Old Testament prophecies? I'm talking about Psalms. I'm talking about Proverbs. I'm talking about Daniel. I'm talking about Genesis. I'm talking about the first prophecy. Ba-boom. Right there it is fulfilled. We've got the past prophecy going on. We've got the past coverage going on. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. This is written in such an intimate, uh, and really the King James captures it the best because ye is a more intimate pronoun than you. But it's written in the Aramaic like 
you were the only one that was going to read it. So everybody that reads it, it's like the only one that ever read it. And it says, For God so the Lord that whosoever believed in him should not perish. If you will put your faith in the finished work of Christ that he died and rose again, you will have immediately calling on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call on him. You immediately have that God connection. Now look at the future prophecies that have everlasting life. Everything that has happened up until your moment of belief, written in the scriptures, God fulfilled. Make it personal like God did your journey. Everything from your moment of faith until eternity. Doesn't matter if it's scary images, planes crashing, people's heads being chopped off, scary movies, wars, famine, warlords, earthquakes. God says, got your back. Because once he enters a life, he doesn't leave it. He doesn't leave you hanging. You'll have some dark times, you'll have some dark hours, but remember what he said to John. He's like, John, I'll make all things new. <laughs> no, no, John, 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 right. These things are fading.